0: He decided to go out with some buddies and they went to a bar. They had too much to drink. Lights come on at closing time. They didn't want to end the party. So they said, hey, let's go to Atlantic City. So they hop in in Matt's SUV, get on the expressway. They're headed to Atlantic City. And Matt, he's changing lanes. And so he kind of, you know, he looks at his blind spot to check for vehicles and cars, but he didn't see a car two lanes over emerging in front of him. And Matt going 90 miles an hour clipped the back end of that car. Both cars spinning out, running into a barricade.
1: How much are you willing to forgive? Has the bitterness and desire for retribution, what someone did so horrible to you, consuming your life? Hi, and welcome to today's Mid-South Viewpoint. I'm Byron Tyler. I want to talk about the subject of forgiveness and what it looks like through the gospel lens. Now, before you turn your radio dial, if you're struggling with forgiveness and it's been eating at you on the inside, please stay with me. I want you to hear from a friend of mine, Drew McCullough. Drew is the student pastor at High Point Church East Campus, and he's been on this show other times in the past. Recently, Drew gave a message on the subject of forgiveness that I felt is so compelling and so needed for all of us to hear, especially in the time in which we're living now. If we're ever going to hold together as a nation, as a community, as a family, we need a real definition of forgiveness, and we need to embrace it fully. I don't want to say much more, so let's hear from Drew.: if
0: You have your Bible wherever you're tuning in from today. You can turn to Matthew chapter 18, and we're going to be starting in verse 21. Now, uh, previous to verse 21, throughout this chapter, Jesus was talking to his disciples. And he was talking about the dangers of sin and how to confront and challenge and correct and restore people who fall into sin. And so in light of that conversation, Peter, good old Peter, he comes to Jesus and he asks him this question in verse 21. He says, then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him as many as seven times? Right. I mean, can I just say I'm really thankful for Peter because so, so much of Jesus teaching comes from Peter asking a question. Right. He always goes to Jesus. He's always the bold one that's like, OK, I'll raise my hand and ask the teacher. Right. Like he's that guy. And I'm really thankful because we would be the ones to not raise our hand. Right. So we're thankful for Peter. But Peter is, is trying to see, Jesus, what's my responsibility with this whole forgiveness thing? Like how many times do I really have to forgive? Like seven times? Now, if you're like me, you're thinking, why in the world did he say seven? Now, back then, it, it, scholars say that the Jewish teachers got together and they decided that people should forgive three times. And at the fourth time, you cut them off. No more. No more is necessary. So Peter, knowing how much Jesus talks about forgiveness, says, okay, I'm, I'm being gracious. Let's take their three, let's multiply it, cherry on top, let's add one, let's go to seven. Jesus, should I forgive seven times? And here's how Jesus responds in verse 22. Jesus says, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Jesus says, no, 77. Now that would have like blown Peter's mind, Jesus saying 77. Now, of course, Jesus didn't mean 76, 77. That's it. Stop. Jesus was trying to make a dramatic point here. Jesus was trying to take forgiveness and what they knew about it and flip it on its head. He was taking that measuring stick and breaking it over his knee. He was saying forgiveness should be limitless. Forgiveness. Stop trying to count. Stop trying to figure out when to Stop. Love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. Here's how pastor and commentator John MacArthur put it. He said, law keeps count. Grace does not. Jesus tells a parable, tells a story to help us understand what he's saying here. And this story can be viewed in like three little scenes. And we see the first scene in verse 23 Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave his debt. It says that he owed him 10,000 talents. Now that would have been an enormous debt, right? It's hard to say how much 10,000 talents would be today. Some say it's in the billions. Some say it's in the trillions. In that day, the talent was the highest denomination of currency, And the word there for 10,000 is the highest numerical value in that language. So what Jesus was actually doing is taking the highest currency and the highest numerical value, throwing them together, basically saying the debt that this guy owed was a gazillion dollars, right? He's trying to stress that this, this debt is incalculable. It's unpayable. It's unimaginable. And so this guy, of course, he couldn't pay this debt. But before he's drug off, this guy falls to his knees and begs for mercy. Have patience with me. The king had pity on him and released him and forgave the debt. And when it says have pity, what, what that means is he was moved to compassion. He felt this guy's suffering. He felt his anguish and he released him. He didn't even, he didn't punish him at all. And not only that, uh, he forgave him. means he didn't actually say, okay, pay me anything. He didn't require any payment. In, In fact, when he forgave what that implies, not only did the man have to not pay his debt, the king had to pay the debt. The debt didn't just like magically disappear into thin air. The king had to take the hit. The king had to make the sacrifice and this scene would have left the disciples just minds blown because what in the world, what kind of king does that? And then we see scene two in verse 28. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and he went and put him into prison until he had paid the debt. And when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. So we see this second scene. And the second scene is meant to be viewed in like direct parallel comparison to the first scene. Because first we see this debt is owed, right? So this, this forgiven servant, he leaves the palace. He's like wiping the tears away from his eyes and he sees his buddy. He sees this fellow servant who owed him money. So what does he do? He charges over, pins him up against the wall. It's crazy, but that was actually legal back in the Roman empire was if someone owed you money, legally you could put your hand on their neck because it was a sign of public humiliation and punishment. That's what he does. He grabs and pins them up in the, against the wall, right? And it says he was owed a hundred denarii. I don't deal with denarii very often. So a hundred denarii is basically a hundred days wage for the average worker. So if you take the average income of someone in the United States, that would be about $12,000. $12,000 in relation to a gazillion dollars, it's not much. But $12,000, that's a real debt owed. If your buddy owed you $12,000, you wouldn't let him forget it. You'd be sending him Venmo requests every single day till you got your money. $12,000 will go a long way in the McCullough bank account. $12,000 is a lot of money. It's a real debt. But in comparison to a gazillion dollars, it's minute. It's real, but it pales in comparison. And then we see the second comparison. And it's kind of the climax of this second scene here. His buddy falls to his knees and begs for mercy. And he says, have patience with me and I'll pay you. And these words are eerily familiar. They're almost word for word what the other servant, what the first servant had just said to the king. So you would think, okay, this would jog his memory, right? Like if this was a movie, you'd see a little flashback scene. So surely he's going to say, okay, the king forgave me, right? Third comparison his reaction, king forgave, he refused. And the words there he refused literally translate he was not willing. Means he made a conscious effort to say no. A conscious effort to say, I don't forgive you. And he threw him into jail. And then we come to the last scene down in verse 32. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all the debt. End of scene, end of story. So the king finds out and he's furious. And he's not furious because the servant technically did something like illegal. He didn't break any laws, right? He's furious because the king was disrespected. He was furious because the forgiveness that he has extended was cheapened, was ignored. It was like the servant had spit in the king's face and he calls him in and says, you wicked, evil servant, what is wrong with you? How dare you? And he sent him off with the jailers. Our Bibles are actually a little bit nicer. The word jailer there actually means torturer. So he hands him off to the jailers, the torturers, until his debt could be paid, which we already established, 10,000 talents, gazillion dollars, not payable. This was a quadruple life sentence this guy got. And then Jesus sums it all up in this last verse. And he says, so my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you don't forgive your brother from your heart. And that sounds harsh, doesn't it? If you don't extend forgiveness, it is a sign that you have not experienced God's forgiveness with a true, humble, repentant heart. Because forgiveness is, is a product of a heart that has been transformed by colliding with the king's forgiveness. Because those who know forgiveness show forgiveness. His grace, his mercy, his forgiveness, they come first, but ours must come second. Now that's easier said than done, right? I'm all about forgiveness. I'm all about talking about forgiveness. I'm all about being forgiven. Praise Jesus for forgiveness. But when I'm hurt, when I'm really hurt, I don't know about it then. And we have all these objections and they're valid objections. Do you know what they did to me? Do you know how many times they've done that thing? Do you know how bad they hurt me? How much they broke my trust? There's no way I can forgive them. I can't just forget it. It's not okay. But here's the thing. Forgiveness is only needed because there is a real debt. If there wasn't a real debt, forgiveness wouldn't be needed. There's a real loss. And for you, your loss may be monetary. It may be reputation. It may be trust. It may be your relationship. You might have lost a loved one. There's a real loss there. There's a real debt. And I truthfully can't begin to try to understand all the pain and the hurt and the loss but your suffering and your pain and your hurt and your loss, it's real. Forgiveness doesn't negate that. It doesn't invalidate that. Honestly, forgiveness acknowledges how real it is. There's a real debt, real pain, real loss. And forgiveness doesn't mean that you're suffering and hurt and everything is just going to magically just go away. It doesn't mean you're going to magically forget everything. And it doesn't mean that suddenly your relationship's gonna be back to what it was or the trust is gonna be rebuilt magically. And it doesn't mean that it condones what they did. It doesn't mean that it's just okay. And it doesn't absolve them of any consequences or legal consequences. And to be candid, if you are have been in or are in an abusive situation of any kind or you're in danger, I want you to know that we love you and we want to help you Get to a safe place. And I want to validate the fact that what you're suffering through is not okay. But we are here for you to listen and to walk with you however long your journey and process of healing and forgiveness take. But forgiveness does not mean that you have to stay in that situation. And forgiveness doesn't condone. And forgiveness doesn't mean that anybody deserves it. It doesn't mean it's earned. Forgiveness is granted. It goes counter to everything that is natural to us. Our natural response to a loss is to try to fill that void with unforgiveness. Our natural response to being hurt is to hurt back, to repay evil for evil out of anger and vengeance and our natural response to, to being wronged is to hold on to bitterness and hold on to resentment because we think that somehow that gives us power over that person. But in reality, it just imprisons us. It's like drinking poison, expecting them to die from it. And our natural response to, to being hurt and to, to pain is to try to seek comfort and self-pity Try to seek validation and self righteousness. We have all kinds of reactions to being hurt and to loss and to suffering, but forgiveness runs counter to all of it because forgiveness isn't natural, it's supernatural. It's not natural, it's supernatural. So how in the world, in light of my real suffering, a real hurt, a real loss, how in the world can we begin to forgive? How in the world can we find the strength to forgive when I don't feel like it? How in the world can we make a habit out of forgiveness? It is only through the supernatural power of the gospel of Jesus. It is only by fixing our eyes on the unconditional unimaginable, undeserved, unlimited forgiveness found in Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus was trying to tell us here. That's what he's trying to tell the disciples is it is your responsibility to forgive and you are able to forgive because you have been forgiven of infinitely more. That's why he says 10,000 talents, a gazillion dollars. He's trying to help us see our incalculable, unpayable, unimaginable debt for the wages of sin. The debt of sin is eternal death. But the good news of the gospel is that the king of kings paid our debt for us. The king of kings took the hit for us. The king of kings made the sacrifice on our behalf. The son of God gave up the riches of heaven to pay the sin debt of man. And it's there on the cross when he's paying our debt with the burden of sin on his shoulders, with the wrath of God that we deserve pouring out on him, that he cried out, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Father, they don't understand, they don't comprehend the incalculable, unpayable, unimaginable debt that they owe to a holy, perfect creator. But I'm paying the debt that they never could. Take my sacrifice and forgive them in my name. That is the supernatural power of the gospel. And it is through that forgiveness our own forgiveness, that we find the power to forgive others. So how do we forgive? We fix our eyes again and again and again and again and again, day after day, moment after moment, we fix our eyes on the forgiveness found in Jesus Christ. Because when we fix our eyes on our own forgiveness found in Jesus, we remember that we don't have to hurt as we were hurt. We don't have to repay evil for evil. We don't have to give what is deserved through vengeance and anger because we didn't get what we deserved. We don't have to hold on to bitterness and anger to try to gain power because we have been set free from the power that sin had over us and we have been filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And we don't have to try to find self-validation Because our savior declared our value through his suffering and his sacrifice. And we don't have to try to fill that void of loss with unforgiveness because we have been so made full, so whole by the love and forgiveness found in Jesus, we don't have a void to fill. We are so full, we're able to release that unforgiveness. See, when we try to cling to our unforgiveness, our anger, resentment, bitterness, when we try to cling to it, It shows us that we've either forgotten the gospel and the forgiveness found in the gospel or we've never truly experienced it. The reality is you can't cling to unforgiveness and cling to the gospel at the same time. Those who know forgiveness show forgiveness. If you're a Christ follower, maybe you find yourself, you've been harboring unforgiveness, bitterness, resentment towards someone. And my prayer is that you find yourself at the foot of the cross today. Because our God is eager to forgive and he is faithful and just, willing to forgive and purify you. So confess that and remember the forgiveness you have in Jesus. But then go and ask for that unforgiveness that you held for that person. Or maybe today the Lord placed it on your heart that you caused hurt, you caused pain, you caused suffering, caused loss. And I pray that you find yourself at the foot of the cross today, confessing that, confessing and grabbing a hold of remembering the forgiveness in christ but then going to that person and asking for their forgiveness or maybe today you realize that you have never truly humbly accepted and experienced the forgiveness found in the gospel of jesus and i want to end with this story my wife and i we have a friend named matt Mayer. matt grew up in new jersey normal kid loved playing soccer And he grew up playing soccer, played soccer in college at Temple. And then he even played professionally until he blew out his knee one day. So he's put on the injured reserve list. He's waiting to have surgery. The night before a game, since he couldn't play in the game the next day, he decided to go out with some buddies. And they went to a bar. They had too much to drink. Lights come on at closing time. They didn't want to end the party. So they said, hey, let's go to Atlantic City. So they hop in in Matt's SUV, get on the expressway. They're headed to Atlantic City. And Matt, he's changing lanes. And so he kind of, you know, he looks at his blind spot to check for vehicles and cars, but he didn't see a car two lanes over emerging in front of him. And Matt going 90 miles an hour, clipped the back end of that car. Both cars spinning out, running into a barricade. And so as you can imagine, police show up, they breathalyze Matt, they take him into custody. They put him in a holding cell. And it was there in that holding cell that Matt heard this noise and it was the dispatch radio. And over the dispatch radio, Matt heard someone say, the accident on the Atlantic City Expressway is being cleaned up. The driver of the SUV, Matt, is in custody. The driver of the town and country is deceased. It was in that holding cell that Matt found out that he had killed a 55-year-old man from Philadelphia named Hort Cap he was convicted of vehicular manslaughter and it was in the sentencing hearing both sides are given testimonies people gave testimonies for Matt and the the daughter of Mr. Hort Cap she gets up and she just talks about how much she loved her daddy she missed her daddy he was a great man a hard worker she even says i've heard nothing but great things about Mr. Mayor but I miss my daddy. And she sits down, and then Mr. Cap's oldest son, Noon, gets up, and the tone changed. And he begins to scream. Do you have any idea how I found out how my daddy died? And he continues to scream and yell in anguish and pain and hurt. And he turns to Matt and he says, you destroyed my world. And the courtroom was silent. And noon broke the silence and said, but I forgive you, brother. And he walked over and he embraced Matt. And see, it was there on that sentencing day. Matt says that he was put into prison five years, but it was that day that he was actually set free forever. And here's what Matt says about it. The catalyst of that fool healing was heaven reaching down on sentencing day through Mr. Hort Cap's sun noon and extending forgiveness. That was the sealer. Me going away to prison, set free, but on a mission and journey to magnify God in everything I said and everything I did. Matt experience the forgiveness and love of Jesus Christ through Nooncap. And now Matt is a pastor up in New Jersey and he travels around to speak and tell his story to all kinds of people. And here's what he says about when he travels. He says, no matter where I find myself speaking on any type of circuit, in colleges, in schools, in different venues and events, I want to make sure I always highlight God's forgiveness that is the power the supernatural power of forgiveness found in Christ Jesus and extended through us because those who know forgiveness show forgiveness and praise be to God that in Christ Jesus the king took our debt and extends us forgiveness let's pray Lord, we know that we have an incalculable, unimaginable debt. Oh, but God, we praise you and thank you for the incredible, unimaginable forgiveness that you've given us in Christ. Lord, I pray for everyone tuning in right now, God. I know that there is a lot of unforgiveness in this world, but Lord, I pray that you help us day after day to fall to our knees and fix our eyes on the forgiveness found in Christ. God, I pray that you you transform us and use our forgiveness we extend to others to transform the, the world around us. Lord, we pray that for your glory in the name of Jesus, amen.
1: You've been listening to Drew McCullough, student pastor at High Point Church East Campus. If you would like to reach out to Drew with a question or comment, address your email to drew.mccalla.com. D-R-E-W at HighPointMemphis.com. Remember that those who know forgiveness show forgiveness. In Christ Jesus, He took our debt and extends forgiveness for a debt we owe but could never pay. Thanks for listening to Mid-South Viewpoint. Here each Wednesday and Thursday at 3 p.m. Hope you have a great rest of the day. I'm Byron Tyler.